First Corinthians. Uh, so the background, just a little bit. The author is obviously Paul. The first word in First Corinthians is Paul. Uh, so that is pretty easy for us to understand. The date of the writing would have been uh, A.D. 54 uh, to 56. Now, Paul wrote this epistle from Ephesus. He didn't write it in Corinth. He wrote it from Ephesus. Uh, in Acts chapter 18, we can get more of a background on how Paul became acquainted with the people in Corinth. Uh, and so Paul founded this church on his second missionary journey uh, from Athens to, to Corinth. Uh, when he got back after uh, Corinth, there he wrote the letter from Ephesus. Why did he write? Well, there's two reasons in particular. First of all, somebody snitched on the Corinthians. Somebody said, hey, we got this issue going on in the church, and it, it, I, we just need to let you know because as a spiritual father to us, we need direction and guidance. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's household. Now, whether it was Chloe or not, we don't know, but somebody from the household uh, snitched on the Corinthians. Now, you'll see what I mean as we go further into the book of Corinthians. But the second reason was to address matters that were written to Paul from the Corinthians. So at first it was from Chloe's household, but then it was from uh, the Corinthians themselves. In chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Now concerning matters about which you wrote. So Paul is saying, listen, you guys sent me a letter, so I'm, now I'm responding, and this is the response uh, that they are uh, receiving but what about Corinth in particular? Corinth was a pagan city, originally a Greek city. It was originally destroyed by the Romans, but later on it would be rebuilt by Julius Caesar. The population was around 500,000 people. But what it was known for is another thing. It was known for their immorality. Uh, even the church was known for their immorality. The city had no condemnation uh, towards this immorality. It, it was like uh, this was a normal part of their life. They didn't even blush to the sin that they were in. Uh, their biggest uh, uh, giant, I guess you could say, was sexual looseness, uh, which in turn would flood into the church of Corinth. And why Paul here addresses incest, he, he addresses sleeping with prostitutes, he addresses all of these uh, sexually immoral uh, issues that were in the Corinthian church. He's focusing on the church, he's not speaking to the people outside of the church. So the Corinthian church had a lot of issues within the church, and so Paul is saying, I am addressing these issues. Uh, in a fatherly, fatherly way, Paul is ultimately rebuking some of these matters that they bring up. Now, are all of the things that he brings up in the chapters about incest and sleeping around and, and all that? No. Uh, you know 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? Uh, you, you know 1 Corinthians 15, where he talks about the resurrection and the hope that we have in it. Uh, while Paul does rebuke, he also encourages the Corinthians to remember what they have, and they have Jesus, so who did these people worship? Well, they worshipped pagan gods. Now, Corinthian as a whole worshipped a lot of different gods, but their main god was Aphrodite. Right? If you've studied mythology, you know that this was the goddess of love, sex, and beauty. And it happened to be at the highest part of the city in Corinth was a temple that was built for this goddess, ultimately symbolizing that this Corinthian city uh, was founded upon lust. 
Right at the center of everything that happened, on the top of the hill, there was a temple dedicated to the goddess Aphrodite, where prostitutes would practice their trade. And so at this point, you're probably thinking, well, gosh, we just got out of a love story in Ruth, and now you're taking us to 1 Corinthians, where this church is full of issues. Why, couldn't you have picked something a little bit easier? Like, I mean, it's Sunday morning, I'm barely awake, I haven't had my coffee, and here you are talking about incest and sleeping with prostitutes. That's exactly our issue, though. We like easy. See, we we like to be comfortable in our seats. We like the story of Ruth. I love the story of Ruth, but sometimes you and I need to be called out. And through the Corinthian letter, you and I will be called out. It's not just for the church in Corinth. It is for us today. God's word withstands all of the ages. It, it, it It was for them. It's for us. It's for the next generation after us. See, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And so why do we study 1 Corinthians? Because we want to talk about incest and all that? No. So we want to know the truth. We want to know what we are called to do and be as believers. And so that's why Paul is addressing these Corinthians. He's saying, listen, your old life, you worshipped Aphrodite. You worshipped this goddess. But now you are in Christ and you don't live the same anymore. And for some of us this morning, we have to realize that as well. Your old life, if you are in Christ, it is gone. Amen? That, that should have been way louder. Your old life is gone, right? That's good news. You have freedom in Christ. You're not bound to the chains that you were bound to in your old life. Amen? <laughs> Come on. Are those coffee pots full back there? Okay, all right. Come on. It's okay to talk back to the preacher sometimes. Uh, but listen, if some of us have this mentality and this mindset that, oh, if the preacher preaches something I disagree with or makes me a little uncomfortable, I, I got to sit out for this one. Please don't do that. Please stay for this study. Please hear the word of God. I understand Paul's heart in addressing this church and understand the Spirit's heart in bringing us this book uh, that we have today. See, some of us... Uh, will say, well, isn't being a Christian supposed to be easy? <laughs> right? Yeah. See, following Jesus is not always easy. The Corinthians were confused. They were inundated by the, the Corinthian culture, right, of worshiping these false gods. And so now they're bombarded with all of these different things and and their minds are all over the place. They know Jesus is Lord, but they still like the old way of life. And there are many of us that are like that today. We want all that Jesus has for us. We want to be so lost in him, but we look at our old life and think of all the relationships we lost and all of this and that and that. Can I tell you, all that stuff doesn't matter. Only Jesus. And that's where our focus should be this morning. See, Paul wasn't concerned about the Corinthians' comfortability level. He wanted them to be consumed with staying devoted to Christ, putting the old things away, putting them aside, and just following Jesus, no matter what the world around them was trying to lure them into. So Paul's heart for us 
through reading this letter and the Corinthians is ultimately, number one, that we stand firm in the faith amid the world that we are in today. It is a shaky world out there, and our culture is constantly throwing these ideas at us and saying, you should try this, or you should try that. But listen, none of those things that the culture tries to lure us in with will satisfy like Jesus can. And so Paul is saying, listen, stand firm in the faith. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And if there has ever been a time for us to be courageous and strong and to be standing firm in the faith, it is today, my friend. No other day. Today. So make that stance with me, if you will, to stand courageous amid this crazy culture and world that we're in. But not only that, but we would repent of our sins, right? There's that word repent. Uh, Following Jesus is amazing, right? All of us can hopefully attest to that, and maybe you're not walking with the Lord this morning, but, but listen, there is this continual decision to repent. It's not just this one time thing, because our flesh is so easily lured into the things that this world has to offer. Your, your flesh loves to see the things that gratify your, your flesh only for a moment, But our heart, my heart, Paul's heart, my heart, is that we would continue to repent of our sins, that we would turn away from our sins and look to Jesus, keep our eyes on Jesus. We would continually seek the face of God with all of our life. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20, it says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, and it was a high price. So glorify God in your body. See, the church needs this letter. Our, our local congregation, we, we need this letter. Maybe you're not involved with some of the things that the Corinthian believers were involved with, but it doesn't matter. We need this letter, especially with all that is coming up against us in, in our world as believers. But not only does the church need this letter, the individual needs this letter as well. The demographics and size of the church at that time, it, it didn't matter. What mattered was that what mattered, excuse me, was the boundaries between the world and the church. If you were to look at the Corinthian church, you couldn't tell they were a church. They looked just like the world. Here's my encouragement to you. Maybe you're visiting for the first time and you're kind of just feeling out the church. Let me encourage you with this. If you are looking for a church to call home, if that church blends in with the world, you need to leave. Okay? You need to find a different church. See, the Corinthians, you could tell no difference. They look the same. When a church starts to compromise and act and function in a worldly matter, you have two options. You either need to speak up or you need to get out. And oftentimes, when you try to speak up to the leadership of the church, they won't hear you. And that's another key to leaving that church. Pray for them, please. Continue to pray that God would reveal the truth to them and they would understand that we're called to be salt and light. We're not called to be like the world. I read this article on Google this week. Google is the most used search engine in the world. Handling over, get this, 3 billion internet searches a day. 3 billion internet searches a day. In 2010, Google launched a new feature to their search engine known as Autocomplete. (laughs) 
The purpose of this feature enabled users to find information faster by looking at search predictions. Sometimes I hate that, man, autocomplete, and on your phone, you say the <laughs> Anyways, hopefully you've never been there before. Autocomplete predicts and displays the search activity of other web users, reflecting the general, general populace's view on certain issues. If you were to type in the phrase, why are Christians so, into Google's search bar, its autocomplete feature would reveal what the world thinks of Christianity. For each corresponding letter of the English alphabet, a negative word would appear in Google search results. Words such as, why are Christians so arrogant? Why are Christians so bigoted? Why are Christians so close-minded? Why are Christians so divided, evil, fake, greedy, hateful, intolerant, judgmental? Google search simply confirms the suspicions held by many outside the church that Christians send a confused and mixed message to the world. In a world full of brokenness, the world wants to see humility and selflessness from Christians. Ouch. And Paul is saying, listen, may that not be the case with this church. He's saying, let's not blend in with the world. Let's be different. Let's shine our light. Let's be salty in the name of Jesus. Our world today is still confused when it looks at the church and they ask the question and you call that a Christian? May this convict us to the core, my friends. May this, may this convict us to a point where we have no other decision to make but then to make sure our walks with the Lord are, are solid. May we be representing humility and selflessness, putting others before ourselves. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. And so there are some central themes to this letter. I'm kind of going to fly through these, but the cross, right? Of course it's the cross. Paul has to bring up the cross because it's, it's what Jesus did for us in, in chapter 1, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified. Grace, chapter 4, verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive? Another theme, God. Chapter 8, verse 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. Mission, uh, chapter 9, verse 22, I have become all things to all people. Love, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is what? Love. The gospel, 15, uh, Three through four, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and hope. Chapter 15, verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. With this background, let's jump into the letter to the Corinthians. Um, is that the right clock? Is that time? Okay, good. Okay. So the greeting, right? It's a solid three verses, but uh, we have to understand that this is not just something to pass by. Oftentimes when we come to the epistles of Paul, we often just glance over these greetings. But if you look at some of these words in his greeting, they are powerful and they re represent who the Corinthian believers were, even in their sin, and they represent who we are as well. So Paul introduces himself, but it's not your typical Dear John type of letter, right? Dear John, I'm writing from here, whatever, blah, 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 blah. It's not like that at all. This, this was customary, if you will. This was how you wrote a letter. 
But Paul says something interesting right off the bat. He says, well, hello, I'm Paul. And just to let you know, I'm called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. He wants to make that clear because he is saying, I have apostolic authority to correct you and tell you what I'm about to tell you. It wasn't just some random guy off the street. Paul was saying, listen, I have apostolic authority. As your spiritual father, please know that I have seen the risen Lord. You know his story. Paul, on the road to Damascus, he gets blinded by a great light. He falls to his knees. And what does he ask? He says, who are you, Lord? And there he has that amazing encounter that ultimately just changes and redirects his life completely. But he was called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Understand this, the Corinthian church was not very fond of Paul. I mean, this guy was calling out this church left and right. We might know somebody like that. They're constantly just, hey, how are you doing in this area? And we're like, dude, just get off my back. But Paul was like, no, we have to address these. We have to address these situations that you're in. And sometimes... Sometimes God does that with us. Sometimes he'll bring these things up that we didn't really even know was in our life. We might be totally oblivious to this sin or that sin, and God will just subtly say, what's up with that? Okay, maybe he doesn't use that phrase, but he'll call us out. And and how you respond is another thing. Either you say, okay, Lord, how do I change my direction? Or you keep living in that sin. But the reason he reveals that is so you can... Repent of that. But he starts out by saying, I'm an apostle, not by man's doing, but by the will of God. I was called by the will of God to be an apostle. Now, an apostle, uh, in short, is a messenger. Specifically, uh, the immediate messengers of Christ, the teachers of Christ's teaching, and the original founders of the church. So the question I want to ask this morning is, are there apostles today? Now, you may hold to one or, one or two of these views that I'm going to bring up. I know which one I hold to, and I, and, and I hope to present it in a way that helps you to understand if there are apostles today. But the first view is this. The, the gift of apostleship was limited to 12 and a few others. It was foundational to the church to have these apostles because without these apostles, the word of God, Christ's teaching, would not have been carried on. And so you needed these apostles, these people who had witnessed Jesus' ministry, who had hung out with Jesus, who heard the Sermon on the Mount. Can you imagine sitting for that sermon? I mean, I know my sermons are great, but you kind of were torn on that, weren't you? Laugh or don't laugh, but... No, we all know that Ian has the best sermons. It's it's okay. (laughs) But the church was built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Ready for this? Built on the foundation of who? The apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The apostles were those who were laying the foundation of the church, which was not their own clever ideas, but it was the teachings of Christ. It was the gospel. That was the foundation they were laying. But there were also specific requirements to be an apostle that cannot be fulfilled today. Number one, they had to be an eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection. 
Acts 1, 21, it says, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. They had to witness the resurrection of Christ. The second thing is, the gift of apostleship had to be accompanied by miraculous signs. 2 Corinthians 12, 12, when I was with you, Paul writing again to the Corinthians, he says, I was patient and worked all the powerful miracles and signs and wonders of a true apostle. Not only that, but they were supposed to be called by God. Acts 1, 24, it says, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. It wasn't man's choosing. Right? right before they decided that Matthias right, was the next guy to fill in for Judas, who Judas ended up betraying Jesus, they went to the Lord and said, okay, Lord, you know. You know who the next apostle is going to be. And lastly, Paul was the last of the apostles. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8 through 9. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So the first view is that apostol- apostolic authority or apostleship was given uh, to the twelve and a few others. The second view is that the gift of apostleship continues today. And those who hold that view look at this from a much broader sense. When they look at the word, they look at it from not just the ones who had seen Jesus, but they look at it uh, as, as a church planter or missionary. And they give themselves the label apostle. Yet in the context of where we're at, there, there were only 12 apostles, those who had seen the risen Lord. Paul makes it clear. He was the last apostle. His case was unique in that he was specially called by God to minister to Gentiles. So, are there apostles in the sense of church planners and missionaries? I sure hope so. But are there apostles in the sense of foundational church fathers? No. The foundation has already been laid. The foundation is Christ. And if anybody else tries to build a foundation upon which has already been built, uh, that person's work will amount to nothing. The, the foundation is Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So if you hear somebody today say that they're an apostle, they need to be incredibly specific and possibly even change their verbiage. And then Paul mentions a buddy of his, Sosthenes. He says, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Sosthenes is mentioned in Acts chapter 18, and he would have known the Corinthian situation very well. He would have been a secretary of Paul, ultimately writing the epistle as Paul told him what to write, which in turn means that Sosthenes ultimately agreed with what Paul was writing to this church. Sosthenes most likely converted under Paul's preaching And he ultimately would later on become a leader within the church of Corinth. So who is Paul writing to? Obviously the Corinthians. Verse 2 through 3, it says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, highlight, underline, circle that word sanctified, 
Called to be saints, highlight, underline, circle that word, together with all those who in every place are, are, are place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both, both theirs, what in the world is going on with my, my vocabulary all of a sudden, both their Lord and ours, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul wasn't addressing a building. He wasn't like, I'm going to send this letter to 1524 Corinthian Avenue in Corinth. And, you know, he wasn't doing that. He was addressing it to a group of people. He, he was addressing it to the church. And, and, and maybe uh, you've got caught up in this whole church world, so to speak. But when we say church, we're not talking about the roof over our head or the building that we walk into. The church is people. It's you and me. That's what makes up the church. It's not this building. I mean, it's nice to be in a building, but the church is the people. And so Paul is writing to the people. In Greek, the word church is ekklesia. It's a non-religious word, actually, used to describe a group who is meeting for a specific reason. In case you're wondering why we meet, we meet because we want to know God and we want to make him known. This is where we all come together and we get recharged, we get refreshed, we get refueled, and then we go out. It's not just up to the preacher on a Sunday morning. If we're the church collectively, we all have a part to play. And then in this introduction, Paul gets very specific with their position as believers. He calls them sanctified, he says that they're saints, and he says they're called. If you are a believer in Jesus this morning, I want you to know this. Number one, you're sanctified. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. This position that the Corinthians had was not their own doing. There is no way, especially in their immorality, that they could have sanctified themselves. There was no way. There's no way for us to even do that. It's only in Christ that we are set apart. The actual word for sanctification in the Greek is uh, to cleanse, to wash over, right? But it also refers to one who has been set apart for service unto God. So here's the question, who can be sanctified? All those who have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't, then you're not sanctified. You're not cleansed. You're still in your sins if you are not in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're either in the world or you're in your sins. But if you are in Christ, you are set apart. You have been cleansed by the blood of of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10:10 it says and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So if you're not a believer this morning, maybe you're in house or you're watching online, the bad news is this, you're still in your sins and you're headed to hell. The good news is this is that Jesus died for you, so you could be forgiven of your sins, so you wouldn't have to go to hell, so you could spend eternity in paradise with him. Amen? John MacArthur says this. He says, as Christians, we should live holy lives, but holy living does not make us holy. To the extent our living is holy, it is because in Christ we already are holy and have the counsel and power of the Holy Spirit. We are holy because the sanctifier has already sanctified us in response to our trust in him. Christ's work, it's all his, not our own. It's what Jesus has done for us, and when we accept that, we are sanctified. Number two is a saint. 
called to be saints together. Now, I know what you're thinking. There's no way my husband is a saint, right? If you're married. <laughs> well, there's no way that my, my wife is even a saint. The guys did not laugh at that. Good job, guys. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Sweating for you guys up here. That was a close one. <laughs> Man. But the truth is, husbands, we all know our wives are saints, right? I mean, let's agree to that. Come on, I'm setting you up. Come on. Okay. You better say it. Okay. Anyways. You might be thinking maybe you're not married. Maybe you're not in any type of relationship. But you might have the question, there is no way that I'm called to be a saint. Do you know what I've done? Do you know what my past has been like? Do you know all the sins that I've committed? Do you know all the immorality I've gotten into? Do you know all of everything? No, I don't. I don't know the detail of your life. But if you're in Christ, your story is the same as mine. You once were lost, but now you're found. See, that doesn't change. Jesus, we were lost. (laughs) And Jesus found us. See, the Corinthian church was in no place spiritually on their own, their own to be called a saint. But here's what made them saints. It was the call of God that was placed on them to be saints. It was God's call, not theirs. Paul didn't use this as a term of, of flattery, if you will. He wasn't trying to get on their good side because he already ruffled some fle- feathers. I don't know what feathers are, feathers. But he, he, he wasn't trying to get on their good side. He was telling them the truth. The truth was that because of what Jesus had done for them, they were called to be saints. The church was a mess, a huge mess, full of sexual immorality, doctrinal problems, church government problems, spiritual gift problems, church service problems, and authority problems. This church was full of problems. But what does Paul call them? Saints. Saints because of what Jesus has done for them. And that's why he, call, uh, he, he writes to them to correct and redirect them. Now, what is a saint? A saint is holy. Now, if you're in Christ, you are holy. But don't let your head get stuck in the door on your way out. Okay? You are called to be humble. A saint is someone who has called upon the name of the Lord, who has been saved from sin, death, and hell by the finished work of the cross. A saint is every believer, the mature and the immature. On your best day, on your worst day, you are a saint because of the call from God. That's good news because we all have rough days. But listen, he still calls you saint. But when you go up to the next, next Sunday on greeting time, when they, they say to greet, don't go, hi, my name's Saint Tyrone. We're not going to get name badges that say Saint Sarah or front row people. That's why nobody sits up here. <laughs> Jerry Bridges says, It is very unfortunate and unhelpful thing that we so often misunderstand this short, simple word. To use a word that applies to all Christians in a way that suggests there is a special, elite class of Christians is doubly wrong. 
It steals from the church important truths that God intended to communicate through the idea of sainthood. And it promotes jealousy and division within the body of Christ by suggesting a hierarchy that does not exist. We are all at the same level, all on the same playing field. I've heard it said that it's level ground at the foot of the cross. There is no hierarchy in sainthood. But please know this. This is not a singular word. Saint is not just a solo thing. And if you think that you can do this Christian life on your own, you're deceiving yourself. You need other saints. He says with all. Notice he he says not just one person. He says, with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. There's no such thing as a lone saint. And whenever saint is mentioned in Scripture, it's plural. Listen, listen to this. We're almost done. The pews or benches or chairs of every church in every age, every part of the world are filled with people in different stages of spiritual maturity. We worship with people whose Bibles are tattered from use and with people who still need help finding the minor prophets. We join our prayers with people who have been praying fervently for a lifetime and with people who are just learning to pray. We sing alongside people who know every hymn by heart and with people singing them for the first time. We sit under preaching with occasional doubters and with founding church members and with spiritual newborns hungry for food. That's who the saints are. There's no spiritually elite person in this room. We are all called to be saints, not because of what we have done on our own, but by the will of God, if you are in Christ this morning. So why do you think Paul calls them them saints? (laughs) After hearing all that the Corinthians had done, you you would think he would start his letter off this way. To the church in Corinth who are barnyards and knuckleheads, get your act together. Sincerely, Paul. That's the way I would have written it. But Paul is like, hold on. I know you've got some error in your life. I know you're dealing with this immorality issue and this incest issue and and on and on and on. But he says, I want to remind you of who you are in Christ. Because even in the midst of all that they were going through, they were still in Christ. They may have not been spiritually mature. They may have just started walking with the Lord and they didn't know what it meant. But Paul says, listen, you're in Christ. And because you're in Christ, you are sanctified, you are a saint, and you are called. And so before Paul gets into his rebuke of the Corinthians, he lovingly reminds them of what they are and what they have. What they are is sanctified, saints, and called, but what they have is grace and peace. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what they had received. You cannot know the peace of God until you know the grace of God. And the grace of God has a name. His name is Jesus. So if you're looking for peace, look to Jesus. He reminds them of what they were. They were lost. They were helpless. They were without hope. Yet because of what Jesus had done for them, they became found, they were rescued, and they were given hope. Maybe some of you have lost your way this morning. 
Maybe you at one time were walking very strongly with the Lord. Maybe you had this tight relationship and you, you knew that, oh, there's nothing in my life that could separate me. And, 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 and while part of that is true, there's always this part of us that distances ourselves from the truth. How could God love me after all I've done, even in Christ? That's just the radical, relentless love of God for you. Even in the worst place in your life, God still loves you. At the Harvest Fest uh, a couple Fridays ago, um, you guys can come back up. I'm closing now. Don't close your Bibles. Just hang tight. Um, I don't have 30 minutes. Sorry. Um, My stomach's growling. I had a conversation with a, a junior hire, believe it or not. It was a group of them, and, and some of you heard this story from last Friday, but uh, the, the terminology that this next generation uses, I'm like, what? Are you st-? So he, one of them comes up to me, and, and I had a, if you were there, I had a burger hat on and an in-and-out apron. And he comes up to me, and he goes, I like your fit. I'm like, you like my what? <laughs> like, what? What is a fit? And, and, and I said, what, just... And he kept repeating it. I'm like, I don't know what a fit is. I had a Honda fit. Is that close? And, and, and he says, well, it means I like your outfit. So if any young person tells you they like your fit, you should just play along with it. Like, yeah, totally. And then I proceeded to tell, relate or try to relate. Um, is, and I said, is it kind of like saying I like your cut, G? And he was like, no. In case you're wondering... What I like your cut, G, means it means I like your haircut. Um, don't go that route. <laughs> but as we got to talking, I started asking them. I said, what are you going to do after junior high? And they were in, uh, I think, seventh grade or whatever grade comes before high school. And um, one of the kids says, well, I'm going to stay out of trouble. Yeah, right on. The other kid said, I don't know. Typical junior high answer. The other kid said, I don't, I don't know, I'm lost. And, I, and I'm looking at his face like, "What? you're lost. He goes, yeah, I, I just, I've lost my way. And hearing that from a junior high kid, uh, try, trying to understand what that means, because when I was in junior high, and for many of us, when we were in junior highs, junior high school, we were not faced with the same challenges that these kids are faced with today. If anything, we had it easier. These kids, these junior hires and people who, kids are, who are in school, they are making history. But while in the midst of making history because of this pandemic and having to be the first group of people that have ultimately done online schooling and stuff, many of them have lost their ways. And so I looked at this kid and I said, I, I know a way. And he, he was intent and listening and And I shared the gospel and I said, listen, Jesus is your way back. Jesus is the way back. If you're lost right now, just look to him. And whether he responded to that later later on or not, I I don't know. But the Lord worked in that and is working in that. But listen, maybe you're like him this morning. Maybe you've lost your way. Listen, look to Jesus. I don't have some magical you know, illustration or step one, step two, step three, step... Look to Jesus. He is the author and finisher of your faith.
And if you're lost this morning, he knows exactly where you are. My prayer for this study is that this would just open our eyes to see the kindness of the Lord and and potentially even call us out at times. That we wouldn't just be comfortable with playing the role of a Christian, but we would be serious about our walks with the Lord. Listen, we got to stop messing around. That's not just a word for the junior higher. It's a word for the adults as well. So listen, let's go through this study. Make it a point to be here. And if you can't be here, catch up on on Facebook or YouTube or, or wherever else our podcast things go out. But listen, let's be devoted to Christ as a church and as individuals. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand and I'll, I'll pray and we'll close out with the chorus. And don't forget we got sandwiches. That's why my stomach is growling. Lord, thank you so much for the beginning of this epistle. God, we thank you that in it we find a, a truth that we can so easily pass by as we read it. That if we are in Christ, we are sanctified, meaning we are set apart. We have been cleansed of our sins. That we are saints. (laughs) And some of us may not feel like that this morning. But Lord, would you help them to remember that it's not anything that they do or don't do that makes them a saint. It's all of what what you've done for them. And so Lord, I pray that you would continue just to prepare our hearts to receive your word as we continue to journey through this letter to the Corinthians. Lord, thank you so much for your great love for us. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh, beloved, shout your name, Lord of all the earth. We shout your name, shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh, beloved, shout your name. And thank you for checking out this episode of the Great Avenue Christian Church Podcast. For any more information about who we are, uh, feel free to check out our Facebook and our website. Again, thank you for your support. And uh, we will catch you next time. Have a blessed week.